We have been in this series, Life at the Lake, and, um, and my, my desire in this series is that out of it, that you wouldn't just learn stuff, but that you'd see a picture of Jesus that's a little bit different maybe than just a caricature, um, different than just this image that's there, but that you would, you would really see him and encounter him. We talked the, f- the first week in Mark 1, we talked about Jesus having a clear sense of who he was and why he came. Jesus said, you know, I didn't come for the, for the healthy, but, but I came for the sick. The, the, the sick is who needs a physician, not people who are healthy. Jesus understand, understood his purpose here on earth. And, um, and when you think about that as that being that we're his purpose, that he came for us, that's a pretty incredible thing. Second week, we talked about this idea that, that Jesus, Jesus had a heart of compassion for hurting people. No matter what you're going through, no matter where you've been, no matter what your struggles, he sees you, he knows you, and his heart is with you. His heart aches for you, his heart breaks for you. Last week we talked about the, the whole idea that Jesus has the ability to forgive sins, and not just that he has the ability to, that he wants to, that he wants to forgive whatever's occurred in your past. Uh, last week we talked about that paralytic that came down through the roof, and um, and the fact that Jesus said, which is easier to the, to the guys that were giving him grief that didn't really believe that um, he was from God, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or, or to he- physically heal someone? You know, one you can see, one you can't, but if I can do one, I've got the ability to do the other. And Jesus healed him. Jesus has the ability to forgive whatever your sins are. Incredible thing. For me, the, the, the picture of Jesus, part of, part of um, what was significant in changing kind of the character, the Sunday school image of Jesus, was um, a trip that I did uh, several years ago to Israel. In 2011, a group of um, about 20 of us that were, that were ministers in Ohio went um, on this trip that a rich foundation paid for for ministers to go and to just experience the Holy Land. It's a really cool thing to drive in. Um, if, you, if you would see pictures of that area, the Sea of Galilee is down kind of in a valley. There's hills all along the shore. That picture is actually of the Sea of Galilee, um, that window. You're looking out the window at the Sea of Galilee, which is cool. Um, but it's down in this basin. Tiberias, the city of Tiberias is on, is on uh, kind of the western shore. And... Um, uh, this trip that we did, that this foundation paid for, this, this very rich man, bless his heart, uh, he, he, it just was incredibly cool. It was different than most Israel trips. For most people, when they go to Israel, you're spending a lot of money. And if you're spending a lot of money, you want to see everything that you can. So you see all kinds of Old Testament sites, all kinds of New Testament sites. You see Jerusalem. You see you're just doing every, every, everything, going everywhere. And the trip that we went on was designed significantly as a pilgrimage for ministers. It was designed as a time of spiritual renewal for us. So what we experienced was different than most people. We would go and see one site in the morning typically and, um, and at that site talk about what happened there, what, what um, Jesus' encounter was with people in that place. And, um, and then uh, talk about it, uh, a lot of times journal, pray, do all kinds of stuff. And then we'd come back to the hotel where we stayed and just have a chance to rest and kind of process that. And then that night we'd get together 
um, and worship, which was r- really cool, uh, just a really cool opportunity. It was all designed for us to be refreshed. And, and on Saturday that we were there, on the, on the Saturday that we were there, it was a free day. They strongly encouraged you to rest and to do nothing and just kind of um, absorb where we were, you know, that we were on the ground that Jesus had walked on. Um, we were in the places that you read about in Scripture. But you also could go and do and see something maybe that we weren't going to see otherwise. So two of the guys and myself, um, early in the week we had, we had been to a place called the Cliffs of Arbel. They're cliffs that overlook a road that goes from Nazareth to the Sea of Galilee. It's the, it's the path that Jesus would have taken oftentimes walking through there. Um, the, the Maccabees, if you know Jewish history, um, the, the resistance, the Jewish resistance to the Roman army um, hid uh, on the, in the cliffs um, in caves that were there. They did battle from there. And, and so we hadn't really got a chance to look at that much. So we took a cab over to where the cliffs of Arbel were, um, climbed up into an area where these cliffs are, and, um, and you weren't really supposed to go there, but, um, you know, the we did. We looked at, looked at this stuff, saw stuff. It was clear lots of people had been there lots of times. And, um, and, and, and just looked at this setting where so much Jewish history had happened. That's not the part of the story that's relevant. This is the, the part of the story. So, so we spent a couple of hours there. We're going to go back. We're going to rest at the hotel. And, and one of us had the bright idea. Why don't we just walk back? That would be cool. You know, we're in the land that Jesus was they walked every why don't, we, why don't we walk back it's not that far we can see it's just right over there and um so we start this path walking about four and a half hours later um total of eight miles um we walked back from the cliffs of Arbel back to where we were in tiberius we were very glad when we got back there um it didn't end up being particularly a day of rest for us um, but one, one incredible thing happened, and it relates to the section of Scripture that we're going to look at in just a second. As we're walking, and um, sun's beating down, it was warm, we were hot, we were tired. We come around this bend, and on this, on this small road that we're walking on, it, we, it wasn't even for really um, cars. It was a, a, a path, a foot traffic kind of path. We come around this bend, and there is a field of wheat that is in, uh, I'm not a farmer, in kernel. It, the, the heads of the wheat are um, ready to be harvested. It was there. And, and it, there was this incredibly cool moment. Okay, so picture that in your mind. Take out your Bibles. Turn to Mark chapter 2. Uh, if you've got it on an electronic device, that's cool. If you've got a, a copy, that's great. If you want to look on screen, that's, that's great. If you need a Bible, um, on your way out today, stop at the information area out there, and we would love to give you one. Mark chapter 2, verse 23, is this picture of Jesus that's just very interesting. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to him, said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man 
not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. For me, that passage of Scripture is alive because I lived it, I walked it. On the Sabbath, the grain fields that were there, it was an incredibly poignant moment, um, living out Mark chapter 2. There is this principle in Scripture that it's important for us to grasp as we look at this small um, section of Scripture. And that is a principle of rest that God put into us. Um, the, the idea of Sabbath, that we need to take some time to just hear from God, that we need some time to kind of shut down. We need the Sabbath. Uh, I think probably if we were to raise hands, most of us would say we don't do rest well. We do busy well. Our, our schedules just fill up and fill up and fill up and we run from one place to the next. Before uh, first service, I was with the band. We pray before the service and, and everybody in the band is going, man, I've just been working so many hours, not very much sleep. Life is crazy, so busy. And I said, you know what? Today's message is for all of us because there's this principle of rest that we need. Oftentimes, even when we rest, we do stuff. If you think about it, when we go on vacation, sometimes we need to come back from vacation that's supposed to be for rest and we need to rest from the vacation because we're just so worn out, getting ready to go, doing the stuff, coming back, all of that thing, all of those things. Um, when our kids were little, we have, we have six children, four girls, and then two boys. The two boys are the youngest. And uh, when they were little, I would read to the kids most nights um, from different, you know, different kinds of literature. And with four girls, what do you read? Little House on the Prairie, right? Um, I remember Little House on the Prairie before it was a television show, okay? Um, we're reading Little House on the Prairie, actually reading the, the, the uh, book Little House in the Big Woods. And if you ever read that as a kid, there's a chapter in there where they talk about Sabbath rest. And if you think historical context, di- completely different kind of perspective. Laura um, talks about what's expected of them on Sabbath. They would worship, or if they were in the big woods, they were actually away from the town and they wouldn't go to worship. So they could do actually three things. They could read scripture, they could sing hymns, or they could look at a book of natural history. And that was their day on Sunday, their day for worship, their day of rest. That then leads to um, Laura. Laura's playing with the dog. She gets in trouble. And then Pa tells a story. Again, if you've, if you've read that series of books, Pa tells a story about a pig and a sled and going sledding on Sabbath and getting in trouble. Some of you are shaking your heads and you remember that. If not, go read it sometime. It's a hoot. Um, 150 years ago, how we celebrated Sabbath, how we took time for rest, radically different than what we do right now. Even when I was a kid, many of you can remember when there were blue laws, you know, when everything was shut down on Sunday. I I grew up, I can remember one time very clearly that we needed some medicine or or something like that. It was a non-prescription kind of deal. And and we needed to go get it on Sunday and everything was shut in the, in the small town where we lived. The only things that were open were gas stations and, um, and a few restaurants. And the people who worked in the restaurants at that point, they were bad people because they worked on the Sabbath. Um, the, you know, there, were, there was this sense um, 
just a generation ago of what rest looked like different. Today's message, there are really two parts to it. The first is this sense that God calls us to rest. We need that rest. We need that rest to hear from him. Take a look up on screen at this video. All right, so here we go. According to Genesis, the Lord created everything in six days, and then on the seventh day he rested. That is, he stopped. Doesn't mean he took a nap. It means he rested from the work he had done on the previous six days. So he blessed that day and he set it apart way back when everything was still perfect, right? Right. One day out of seven. Later, I don't know, around 2,500 years or so, way after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and sin was everywhere, Moses pops up on the scene, hikes up Mount Sinai, and receives ten commandments from the Lord himself, written by his very finger. You saw the movie. For all your readers out there, take a peek at Exodus 20. Here begins the law. God's commandments. His design, not ours. For our benefit, not his. Now, out of all the Ten Commandments, we stop today on the fourth. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And in case we might not connect it on our own, God uses the same language in the first book of the Bible that he does here in the second to connect it for us. And I paraphrase. In six days, not five, not a million years, not an eon, in six days God did a bunch of work making everything that we see and don't see, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, he blessed it and made it holy. He set it apart. One day out of seven. So we got ten commandments. We got eight don'ts and two do's. But inside, one of the do's is a don't, this fourth commandment. The do is to remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. And the way to keep it holy is the don't. Don't work. Or more accurate to its intent, put aside the normal work you do on the previous six days. Make this day different. One day out of seven. Okay. So let's leap forward about 1,500 years or so to Mark chapter 2, and you'll see that Jesus says, quite frankly, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for the man. Sabbath was made for the man. Huh. God blessed this day, and he set it apart. Why? For what? Well, perhaps it's a date. Maybe God is saying he just wants to spend time with us. Yeah, he created us to do all kinds of things and have friends and family and live our lives, but maybe he's saying he'd like to spend time with us too. Nah, he knows we're busy. That's why he gave us seven days. Six days to do all the things that we have to do. And one day to spend with him. One day out of seven. That was a mom trying to get a hold of her family, right? Um, take, out, take out your uh, bulletin, if you have that, or a piece of paper. Do something. And I want to just take a moment and for you to write a note to yourself on maybe what the Holy Spirit is prompting you to, to do to create a pocket of rest in your life. I'm not going to give you lots of examples I'm not going to tell you what to do because that's the rest of the message coming up here in a second. But just take a second and write yourself a note. How can I create space to hear from God and to experience a date with him?
You can keep writing while I talk, but I'm going to go ahead and start to talk. The reason that I want you to do that is because it's very easy for us to fall into the trap that Jesus experienced with the religious leaders that are in, that's in this particular account. Jesus and his disciples are walking. They're hungry. They take some grain out of the field and eat it. And the religious leaders say, what are you doing? That's working. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. You're breaking the rules. You're violating God's commands. How can you do that and say that you love God, that you honor his word? They created these rules and said, disciples, Jesus and his disciples are breaking those rules. We like rules. If you think about it, most of us don't like rules that are applied to us, but we like to create rules and systems that make our life easier. Take a look at this, uh, at this comic up on screen, on screen. Rules, because nothing communicates the love of Christ quite like rigid legalism. Been there, done that. It's easy for us to make rules, to create, to create systems. God is a God not of rules, but of principles. And I, I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Now, if, if, um, if you're a movie person, you hear it, God's not a God of rules, but a God of principles. You think, oh, is that like Barbosa in Pirates of the Caribbean? You know, the pirate code is, uh, it's not really a co- it's not really rules, laws. It's more a set of guidelines kind of a deal. Not, th- not that at all, but there is this sense that God is not about rules, but about principles. Why is that? It's because God cares about your heart before he ever cares about your behavior. Think about that. God cares about your heart before he cares about your behavior. We create rules because it's easy for us to govern our behavior when what God really wants is our heart. Not only does God care about our heart before he cares about our behavior, God cares about our heart more than he cares about our behavior. Now, for some, it, it's easy to say, oh, you know what, that's great. That means no rules, right? Because God cares about my heart. In reality, um, what happens is that our, um, our behavior reflects the condition of our heart. When we're doing stuff, it's a reflection of what's going on inside us. God cares about our heart because ultimately that's going to express itself in our behavior. Why is it that we tend towards legalism, towards creating a system of religion? It's interesting that uh, Bono the lead singer for U2 said, religion to me is almost like when God leaves and people devise a set of rules to fill in the space. That's interesting. Um, why is it that we create the system of legalism, that the system for religion? I, I, think, I think that a lot of times we do it out of good motives. We want to have the right kind of relationship with God. We want to self-govern ourselves and we want to have that right kind of relationship so we create these rules that can guide our relationship with God. Sometimes legalism is a part of our lives because we want to make it easy on ourselves to choose the right actions. 
you know what, if, if, if I can have these rules, that's going to help me stay on the right path and not veer away from God. It's going to help me do all the right things. It's going to help do that. Sometimes we, we, we have this bent towards legal, legalism because we want to justify ourselves. We recognize in our hearts something's not right, but if we can just do the right actions, then we can feel good about ourselves or at least um, good enough about ourselves because we're doing the right things. Sometimes we have this bent towards legalism because um, it allows us to judge other people and to justify ourselves, to compare ourselves to them and say, oh, I'm better than that person because they don't obey the rules and I do obey the rules. It's easy to live in a system of legalism. Had somebody after first service say, you know, I think sometimes we, we like legalism because it removes the gray. You know, it, it, uh, there's, there's so many things in life that are gray that are, they're not really black or white. There's this ground that we're not sure what to do. And if we have a set of rules, that makes everything black and white. It makes it easy to choose what to do, what not to do, and to disengage our brains and our hearts from the choices that we make. Understand that legalism, legalism drives us towards a works-based system of relating to God. When we, when we reduce our relationship with Almighty God, with Jesus, to a set of do's and don'ts, it becomes all about trying to measure up according to that standard, and we miss the God who loves us. We miss the God of compassion, the God of forgiveness, the God who knows where we are, knows where we live, and loves us no matter what. Uh, this sense of the, the, the movement towards legalism is not, it's not a new area. We see it throughout Scripture all the time. Jesus, Jesus dealt with it directly with the religious leaders because the religious leaders created that kind of system. Um, you may know about the Essenes. The Essenes were a sect of Jews in the first century. Um, they existed at that time at Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, um, one of those places that, that we went to on that trip. Uh, just an incredible time to learn about the Essenes. They loved Scripture. They hid away Scripture in these caves. But they also hid away all kinds of teaching about Scriptures. And, they, and their problem was that the teachings about Scripture, they raised to the authority of Scripture and said that that's what we've got to honor. They missed God because of all the rules. The Essenes, interestingly enough, were baptized. They walked through a baptistry three times a day. They walked through the baptistry before each meal because they didn't want to be impure and then to put impure food into their bodies because then they'd be impure. They, they were all about the rules. Um, the scripture in the Old Testament, there's the Torah, um, the, the first five books of law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And for Jews, there's also a very important document called the Talmud. The Talmud is written instruction by basically by, commenta uh, by commentators, by, by rabbis. As they looked at scripture, they said, oh, here's how we apply it. Here's how we understand it. Here's how we make sense of it. And, and that oral teaching that was there for so many years eventually was written down. And that became the Talmud. Um, the, the, uh, or I'm sorry, that became the Mishnah. The Mishnah then rabbis began to write about the Mishnah and say, oh, this rabbi says this about what Scripture says. But this is what he means, or this is how we can flesh it out. And that became a, a document known as the Gomorrah that was very, very long. 
Um, the, the Mishnah and the Gomorrah were known as the Talmud. The Talmud was as big as the Old Testament. It was as, uh, there was as much there as the Old Testament. And the, and the burden that was there was the Jews, the religious leaders had the Jews obeying everything that was in the Talmud in addition uh, to what was in the Torah, to addition, in addition to what was in Scripture. There was this sense of um, all of these rules about how you related to God. And Jesus said, that's not what it's about at all. If you think about it, it goes actually all the way back to the Garden of Eden, to that encounter with Adam and Eve and the serpent where, the, where Adam and Eve said, God said this, and, and Satan begins to try and parse and define the process and say, did God really say that you can't eat that? And they create then this margin area where they start to create some rules and it ultimately led to their separation from God. Craig Rochelle, a minister out in Oklahoma, says legalism is placing external rules on the internal condition of our heart. Rob Reno, legalism is adding human rules and regulations to the Bible and judging others based on these new humanistic rules. Renow says again, a legalist is not someone who places divine who places divine law above all else. A legalist is someone who places human law above all else. Uh, a, a guy named Tulian Tavijan says, legalism breeds a sense of entitlement that turns us into complainers. Crazy stuff. Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath, says this, The attraction of legalism is that despite all of its complexity, it's mindless. It requires little or no personal engagement. It's sheer mechanics, simple arithmetic, no more difficult than cranking a hoist or measuring a length of board. You just follow orders. You match the parts to the diagram and apply pressure. It need draw nothing from your heart, your mind, your strength, your soul. It's like paint by numbers. It requires no artistry, no imagination, no discipline, just dumb, methodical obedience. Look at the picture that's up there. For us, when we operate in a world of legalism, we have this paint-by-number vision of Jesus. And it's so far removed from the real person. Um, it's no wonder that we live in such a sense of frustration and lost sense of who we are. We spent so much time in Romans through the summer talking about our identity in Jesus. It's the real Jesus, not a paint-by-number Jesus. Turn to 2 Timothy, if, again, if you have your, your Bibles. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I think Paul gives a warning to Timothy that, that it's a very direct warning to us about what legalism looks like in our lives as people who follow Jesus. He says this, Paul says this, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, 
slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of truth. Two phrases in that passage just um, just jump out at me. This description that these people have a form of godliness but deny its power. I don't want that description to be made of me. I don't want that description to be made of you. But it's easy for us if we operate in this world of legalism, this world of rules, to do all the right things, to look right on the outside, to have our behavior look good. And God be so far from our hearts. To have the form of godliness, but to, to deny its power. To be always learning, always here, always studying, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, Paul says. So what's the solution? How do we keep from living in this world of legalism? I think, I think we find it in Galatians 5, chapter 1. There's, there is this clear sense of hope that comes for us, this truth that takes us to a completely different place. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Galatia. It was a church that, was, that, um, that had this strife going on between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians said, oh, you've got to do all this Jewish stuff in order to follow Jesus. And they didn't know what to do. And so Paul writes to deal with this mentality, this sense of rule-based relationship with Jesus. And he says, at the beginning of chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Understand that when Jesus went to the cross, he went to blow up the rules. He went to take away this sense of all these do's and don'ts so that he could have our hearts completely so that we would allow him to be the Lord of every aspect of our life, so that we would engage in thinking about, okay, how does God see this particular problem at work? How does God see my interaction with my kids? How does God see my interaction with the world around us? That we would be engaged in that process, and it wouldn't be the set of, oh, I can't do that because what would people think? Or because I was always taught that. What do we do? How, do? how do we figure out how to live in that kind of relationship? Let me give you just four things to take with you to, to live in the center of, of this, um, this very real relationship with Jesus. The first thing is this. Take the initiative in your relationship with Jesus. Don't depend on your life group leader. Don't depend entirely on, on who's ever teaching up here on a week-to-week basis. Don't depend on what you hear on, the, on Christian radio or Christian TV. or that. Take the initiative to figure out firsthand what is it that God's saying to me. Start the process of looking at the Gospels, looking at the life of Jesus, and figuring out if I were interacting with Jesus, what would that look like? 
read through the letters that are there and the instruction that are there. Say, what are the principles that God is teaching me to apply in my life? Second principle is this. As you start that first-person study, as you take responsibility and initiative for your walk with Jesus, look at Scripture and begin to apply the teaching and, and truths of Scripture, the principles there in your life. Ask that question. As you read Scripture, so many people I've talked to have said, oh, you know what, I'm trying to read Scripture every day. That's so great to just fill your life with God's Word, to listen to Him speak. Let me encourage you, as you do that, pray, God, show me how to take your Word and put it in practice in my life. Don't let me worry about anybody else. Don't let me worry about my husband or wife. Don't let me worry about my kids. Just in me, help me to figure out how to internalize, how to live out my relationship with you based on what you're teaching me in Scripture. Third principle, don't make your application what God is teaching you a burden for others. There's a real danger um, for, for me speaking, for anybody who's up front, to, to go through this process for, for your life group leader or whatever, to, to go somewhere or to listen to a podcast or to do something that all of a sudden, oh, you know what Francis Chan said? Francis Chan said this, and that this is what we need to do as a result of what he said. For your life group leader to say that, and you say, oh, yeah, you know what? If Francis Chan says that, if Rick Rubel says that, if Jeff Rouse says that, I've got to do that. And we create this system of rules for us that takes us far from the heart of God. We need to hear the principles, hear the application first person, put them into practice in our life, and we need to apply them. And we need to, we need to be able to share those with others, others when they ask us why, but we don't need to create a level of expectation in those around us based on what God is teaching us about how to take his word and put it into practice in our, in our lives. The last thing is this, and this is really the heart of it all. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Don't pursue a system of a relationship with God that's driven by rules, that's driven by expectations, that's driven by do's and don'ts. Because if you do, you'll end up serving this kind of Jesus. A paint-by-number Jesus. And he is so far removed from the real Jesus. You know, um, if you're married, you have this desire to have a, uh, we all have a desire to have this dynamic relationship with our husband or wife. People go to, um, you know, seminars and conferences, come back with, oh, these are the 15 things I need to do to have the right kind of relationship with my, with my husband or wife. If we live by those 15 things and, and, and we're consciously, constantly thinking, oh, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to, uh, you know, we, I, I, I've got to do all these things. We won't really have the relationship with our husband or wife that we want because we'll focus on the rules so much that we miss the person that's the danger for us. Let me encourage you. I hope you walk away with a couple of things today. I hope you do walk away with this sense of, God, how can I have this vibrant relationship with you? How can I, how can I create space? How can I rest?
and let you speak to me? How can I create margin in my world? Because it's so busy. I miss you so much. I hope you walk away with that. But I hope you walk away with this strong sense as well. You know what? I don't need to live in a system of rules. I don't need to be driven um, by other people's expectations because Jesus is the one who died for me. Jesus is the one who made everything right. Just need to hear from him. Be led by him. Be guided by scripture. Be applying his word in my life. Let's pray. God, I, I know for me, this is tough stuff. Because it, it is so much easier to do things and not do things and to measure my relationship with you by that. Help me not to go there, God. Help each of us not to go there. Help us to see the real you, the you in all of your glory. God, the you that is so perfect and so holy that loves us with a love that never fails and never gives up. Help us to see Jesus going to the cross so that we could have that relationship with you so that everything would be different. Help us to Help us to embrace that, God, to rest in your love, to rest in Jesus' sacrifice for us, to be drawn to you completely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.